Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. What a great time to be back here with a radio that will influence the world today. This show um, is going to be heard across the nation. It's international, I think. International. I was told by somebody recently that uh, we're, we're really big in Sumas, mm-hmm. Washington. Matsqui. Mission. A family in Sumas listeners. <laughs> like one guy in Sumas who listens I know a few people who live in Sumas that come That's to our like church. The, but, you know, Abbotsford calls itself an international airport for the same reason, right? Yeah. And they have one we, flight to Bellingham a day or something. There it is. Yeah. So you go to Hawaii? Oh, can you? Uh, yeah. From and Abbotsford? Directly yeah. from yeah. Abbotsford? Yeah. Wow. And I think at times it's gone to Mexico direct. Wow. Wow. Well, there so you, what you go. Talk, that's multiple countries. That is a lot of countries. And just like this podcast is, is, is blowing up as fast as the international airport is growing at the Abbotsford Airport. I'm joined around the table by Jeff Buckner. Hi. He's a pastor here in Northview. I am. And I'm also joined by Greg Harris. He's a pastor here at Northview. Hello. They're both wearing plaid, mm. which is typical Abbotsford attire. Is this plaid? Is, is this considered plaid? Kind of, well, Greg's kind of. wearing a shirt that has stripes on it that are down and sideways. And but, he and he's asking if that's plaid. But they're not. it's not plaid like mine. Mine looks like kind of a tartan shirt. But yours has mm. a lot of stripes on it, Jeff. Yeah, no. Okay, yeah, I've... Is you tartan know, a the subset best, of plaid? The best thing to do on on a podcast is to talk, talk about, about what people are wearing. <laughs> I think people are interested in this. Yeah, they are. We're trying to create a picture so, for them, Jeff. Imagery. Daniel, I do have a question for you before right. we get going here. And maybe this is getting going. But Daniel, there is a... Speaking of, of like trends that are taking over the world, mm. Fortnite is taking over the world. Fortnite is a video game. That is free to play on PS4 and Xbox One. Never, and heard of it. Think, Never heard of it. I think they're trying to get it on your cell phone to ruin your entire life. Right. But it's a game like Hunger Games where you're thrust into this cartoony island and you go around and you have to shoot people, but you can play in teams and stuff. So it's like cops and robbers or laser tag, but digitally. And there's no blood in it at, at all. Uh, but it's huge, so huge that people are doing Fortnite-y things not in Fortnite. So there's characters that can do dances and stuff in Fortnite, and and that people I've I've seen people in basketball games doing Fortnite dances and wrestling Ooh. contests doing Fortnite dances. And it's like the like new this. dabbing. But Daniel, you are a big Fortniter. You you are, and you are quite a successful Fortniter from what I've been told. My my son has played with you several times, two sons, and both of them have played with you several times and have won some of the Fortnite games. A hundred people in each little little Hunger Games contest. And Daniel basically hides in a bush until the end when uh, and then he shows up and tries to win. So it's it's kind of cute, but you're I'm watching right. a, I'm watching a YouTube video yeah, you can of watch some YouTube. of the Fortnite dancing. This is perfect because and, now the people can and see what you're watching right there's now. There's legitimately one of the guys that does the exact same dance move I do at weddings every time. <laughs> so I, you are, I have two dance moves and this guy's doing it. You were show. foreshadowing Fortnite. Which one? That, that dance move. Oh, you can do that? That's <laughs> yeah, a tough move. I know. That's my only move. I worked on it very... It's a huge uh, game. It is. Massive. And I would not be surprised if some of the people, many of the people who are... Uh, who are listening have either played or had their kids play, but if you don't know about it, I'm just, we just want to let you know that it is like it is a big deal right now. Do you? Is it a game that's okay for? It's like the ice bucket challenge thing of our day. It is really, yeah, it's a big deal. 
Because it's free to play, mm. so anyone can play it. Are yeah, you, so fun. your kids play it. They do. Are you okay with that as a parent? Jeff, they have guns. They're not shooting aliens. They're not. Uh, they shoot other characters. There's no blood in it. So it's very much like laser tag. How long does it take to play one of these Fortnite games? Oh, they're short. Well, sometimes you can drop in. Not that I've ever played, but you could you could uh, drop in. I was just and uh, you could die right away, and Ooh. so like it took you 15 seconds. By die, it you just you, you fall you, over. You fall over, and the and the yep. all the stuff that you're carrying because you can carry all this wood and stuff to build. You can build stuff and all sorts of things. Mm. It sort of just pops out of you, but it's not gross or anything. Okay. It's a very cartoony world, honestly. If you've ever been to Toontown in. Uh, at Disneyland, have not. It actually looks like Toontown. Really? Yeah. It's things. Things are. It's a total cartoon. How does Fortnite make money off this? Advertisements? Through, no, through uh, you can in-game purchases. Yeah. Ooh, so you can buy. But you have to buy the dances. You but have it's to not buy a, the skins. It's not the, a pay-to-win thing. So yeah. everybody's. But you don't get better things if you pay. Oh. So you know anyway, you, win? you know how you win, Jeff? Communication. It is teamwork. It, my kids love it. It's actually quite funny. It is it's a commu- it is a very communal thing. My my kids don't like playing alone. Cause yeah. They're like we got to play with other people, and it it is. Mm. It reminds me an awful lot of the many times that if you ever gone paint paintballing or laser tag. Yeah. Is it is digital laser tag? This is the thing of video games I've never gotten into. You're a bit of a gamer though, Greg. Playing with other people, hate it. You are really. I don't like playing with other people. You're I like kind playing of, by but myself. You're not, but you're not playing against them. You're playing like well, you're playing against other people, but you're playing with your friends. Yeah, I still don't. Greg, do you think that video games get a bad rap or an appropriate rap? There. So here's the mm. rap. The rap on video games. Tell me the rap. It, well, I think that it's that they should be avoided. They are a la- largely bad influence, especially on young men, and that they're overly violent, at times sexual, that sort of thing. Certainly, there are games that fit that category, right? That are mm-hmm. that are like that. So young young children shouldn't be involved in some of them. But you you've played video games a lot in your life. You're a big sports video game guy. Yeah, I've sp- yeah. So I would say I would I would throw video games in with any other category of entertainment and arts, from from literature to movies to television to anything else that you would want to include in that umbrella of entertainment, mm. and to be as um, broad brushy with video games as you are with anything else. If yeah, it's the equivalent to Netflix. It's going to eat the same amount of time up as with just sitting there and watching right. Netflix, except you're more active in it rather than passive. Well, that's a very positive framework. I will say this, that watching my kids play, they, they are, especially games like Fortnite and some of the others, they, they, it is for boys. It's a communal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it can sit there for four or five hours and laugh their heads off about all sorts of stuff Yeah, and they do it together. Uh, yeah. If my kids were sitting there alone doing it all the time, like I think that me? that. Well, I think that I would I would struggle a little bit with the amount of time spent just doing totally. something on your own that doesn't involve anybody else. Yep. Uh, yeah, that can be it can be problems. It's like every technology though. It's got it's got its weaknesses in that regard that it can end up sucking your time and thoughts and everything into it. I think that one of my kids right now is actually addicted to it. Mm. Yeah, that actually I think I think he wakes up at night thinking he's in Fortnite. Mm. So we're going to have to put a stop to that. Mm. Yeah, we're going to have to. So, I'm going to make him play with me every time so that he loses. No, oh, are you good at the Fortnite? No, I'm not good at My the Fortnite. My favorite, Jeff, is when I'm playing with one of your sons, yeah. and then uh, you come walking in the room, and we just hear you yelling at us. Yeah, I do. I, and and we inevitably lose when you walk in. I'm a in. tactician. I'm the guy oh, on the please. side. I'm oh, the guy please. on the side yelling at them. Listen, you need to understand. You need to get your guys over here and not there, because they're going to get you, and then they get you, and, and I yell lost. at Daniel. Daniel! 
So it's been good fun. Sounds like it. It is. Anyway, it's a, it's a live discussion. The, the yeah. video game discussion. It is actually technology in general is, is, is a live discussion. And it's, it's, it's interesting how I have this theory. I think that technology tends to be, it, it tends to exaggerate the, the sins that are already present. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that if you, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about the, the use of phone and stuff. If you're kind of an introvert, phones can help you become more of one. Right. Instead of getting out of yourself and going and meeting somebody new, you can end up just isolating yourself onto your onto your cell phone and reading things. I've noticed that in myself. So it tends to exaggerate things that are already true, true about you. If you're a real extrovert, you'll use your phone to do all sorts of extroverted kinds of things. Right. Right. Um, And it also gives opportunity for you to feel, you know how people when they're driving in a car, they oftentimes will make hand hand gestures or do things and act in ways that they would never do if they're walking down the Mm. in Costco with their cart because there's no barrier between them. Right. Mm. I think that that phones and this is why what how explain YouTube comments and or Mm. cyberbullying. Right. All that kind of stuff is that people feel a distance through the, through the technology, they feel a distance. And so as a result, they feel free to act in ways that they don't maybe wouldn't normally act because the societal structures are there. So the thing is that it, there, there's a, there's a TV show that I don't, I don't recommend it's on Netflix. I think it's, it's called black mirror, but the point of the, of the, of the, of the stories that they cover have to do with technology. And the point, the reason they call it black mirror is because it, it, it mirrors. I mean, that's what your phone is. When you pick your phone up, it looks like a black mirror, right? But their point is, look, it the the technology is just going to mirror you. Mm, right. It's just going to exaggerate. It's going to show you what you're really like. Mm. And so if you want to know mm. what's in the heart of a person, look at their YouTube comments, right? Look at the way they talk on, on Facebook. Mm. Look at the way that they do Instagram and the yeah. kinds of things they're Instagramming or tweeting. Mm. If you want to know what's really going on in their heart, you will find you'll find out. Mm-hmm. By the things that make them mad on Twitter, the things that they talk about or retweet on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Greg, that's a phenomenal segue because I wanted to actually bring up uh, the idea of Twitter. I Greg's a tweeter. I'm not a big tweeter. You tweet, Greg. I, I tw- you I'm Twitter. An, I'm an infrequent tweeter, but I am big on following on Twitter. Greg is on, or Jeff is on the Twitter. He has four tweets. Two yeah. Yeah. photos. I think about that. Yeah. yeah, that's why I went to Instagram. Is the best, because the I best, found my that favorite was uh, your going, first tweet was Steve told me to tweet more or something. That's like your first one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Huge following on Twitter. You're yeah. You're massive. Dozens. Bigger than the podcast, even on Twitter, but. Uh, no, here's here's my thing with Twitter, and I, I need your guys' help with this because I'm actually I don't know why I feel so strongly about this than I do. All right, man, we'll help. It you has help. something to do with like spheres of influence. But when I see people who make a ma- a massive, you know, they say something big on Twitter, okay, mm. May, controversial, whatever, but they're the type of person who has a massive following and they're an expert in that field. For me, I cannot stand when j- nobodies will respond to this person as if their little tweets at this person are actually going to... But isn't that... Attri- the, no, 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 are going to attribute anything to that conversation. Isn't that the brilliance of the medium, though? When I say no, brilliance, that, that's, that's the draw you, of the medium. I guess that's that the draw of the medium, but I have a hard time... Everybody gets to have an equal voice. This yes, is what's interesting but, but is that... Jeff, but now their voice just becomes added noise because they're not qualified or even in that sphere to be talking yeah, social at media that level. In, social media in general, though, has that. And to be honest with you, usually 
because comment sections are open on Twitter, right? You can retweet or tweet back at somebody, these sorts of things, uh, that you can actually hijack or get a larger voice because, mm. you know, LeBron James said this and you can respond now to LeBron James in a way that then will draw everybody's attention to, to, to you. So somebody who might have 100 followers or 10 followers on Twitter, actually when they tweet on LeBron James, what do you call that? Tweet line or you know you call uh, it? Comment, right? Com- reply. Their, their replies. Yeah. Now they're actually not just, there's not just 100 people who sure. are interested. Okay, so there's maybe, like whatever, 1.6 Maybe it goes million. viral and, a, and they get a couple thousand followers. My point is they still do not have no. the, the credibility to enter into like, if it's an academic field, right? You'd expect someone who's in academia to respond at that same level. You're asking Twitter to be something it's not. No, I'm, I'm just, I, I have a hard time. That's why I don't like tweeting a lot of stuff because I'm, I just feel like you're just adding noise. You just add noise that no, doesn't necessarily it, need to be Here's why heard. I disagree with that is that you're not, you're not adding noise because the only people who are seeing what you are writing as an original tweet are people who are already choosing to follow not you. Not if you're responding in the comment right. thing at the person that you follow. But he, this is, if you are a person who insists on reading every comment on tweets or on blogs or whatever, like that, that's a different level of neuroses I can't help you with because it's just not healthy for you. Like I, I very rarely will I indulge in the reply section because you're right. It doesn't it's actually, a pool. It, it's not yeah. a great place to be. There's a lot of frog meme emoji guys that are just <laughs> saying repugnant things. And so it, I, I think they're trying to build their own, you know, fan base they're trying to critique what what i will say though is that there are times actually where someone has a tweet or a a comment and since the characters have been expanded you could argue if this has made it better or worse but sometimes the replies by characters it used to be 144 characters and now it's 200 and something character is a letter 300 so you can only have like space or whatever yeah and uh sometimes the replies actually do add something formative to the conversation where you can see an interaction between two people. And oftentimes the best interactions are between people who are, who are, they know each other and have a, have a relationship with each other where they, they will be willing to go back and forth with each other on it. Like I've seen friends who will engage with one another on Twitter over issues that are not like the biggest issues in the world, but not insignificant issues. And they'll have a back and forth dialogue and a little bit of a Twitter fight over it. And actually See, I struggle. It, it I str- can have a, a helpful. I think the medium is, cl- is clever. I just struggle with the idea that you can you can uh, explain or have a dialogue with somebody with such small a small amount of space. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the one of the problems is that you have to reduce basically your entire line of thinking down to this short. You know, how, how do I so how you know how do I make it super pithy? And so, and you end up getting just largely style over substance. So if I can, mm-hmm. if I can zing you, mm-hmm. then I'm going to win the debate. Whereas the content of what I'm saying might have, might mm-hmm. be meaningless, but the zing is good. Oh, look, he got him. He wins. So I just think what's this is doing to public discourse, not that public discourse was great prior to Twitter, but what it's done to public discourse is kind of made it dumber, yeah. less nuanced, more zingy, more just like, like somebody like me who actually has, has a bit of a penchant for for a little, for a little zing, two two line, you know, zings, can do better at it, and I I just that's part of the reason I'm not on it because I, I I know already that I'm tempted to respond to half the people, I'm tempted to respond, and and honestly, most of the time when I'm on Twitter, I often want to just 
ask the, the, the traditional Saturday Night Live question, really? Mm. Really? Like, really? This this is really the way it is? It's because people speak in such dogmatic terms on Twitter about like things. Like, they're that, the expert, but they're not. Right. That, That's what bothers me. Right. But then the end, you want to say, really? Is that really the, the way that it is? And really, are, are you willing to be consistent with that viewpoint across all of the other places that I know you to be speaking about? Really? Mm. So... But if I were to go on Twitter and just say, really, 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 I'm, it's not a question about the people I'm critiquing. It's mm. a question about the medium itself. It's basically saying, well, this mm. is not really the place that you go to if you want to have huge substantive dialogue. And yet right. that's kind of where we have it today. Okay, so backing off of that then, because I have another beef where um, if we want to have substantive dialogue, Twitter's not the place to do it. So people write books. Well, it is It is the place to do it. I'm saying I don't think it's... A helpful well. place to do it. Helpful and yeah, place. nobody wants to read books anymore because they're too long. Well, they're too long. But then you have people who do release books. But I find sometimes a lot of books, you have nothing new to contribute to this other than you have your name and your brand. Yeah, that, the, do you find that when you're looking at the, the consumer? The, unfortunately, what's troubled all this. Okay, so why is somebody really big on Twitter? Um, usually because they're trying to build their brand. I mean, it's become it's co-opted by the by, by the consumer mentality. I, mm-hmm. So if you are, if you're a big personality, you actually have Twitter and you have somebody you have somebody run your Twitter mm-hmm. because it's, it's part of your name your name brand. Um, and so the seeking after money has clouded a lot of this as well, and it, it's made it so that there aren't always genuine conversations being had by people. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone feels the need to kind of just you know present themselves in a particular way. It's a, it's a difficult medium. I'm not going to lie. I think the, I think even the biggest Twitter folk would would acknowledge that it's a difficult medium. Yeah. And one of the problems with Twitter is uh it, it heightens exponentially the idea that we all operate with our people who think like us and then we are against people that Alan Jacobs in his book How Not to Think calls the repugnant cultural others. And there are these people that are out there and you can't not follow them and see what they say because you know, no matter what they say, you're going to hate it. Yeah, yeah. And then you engage with them. And what Twitter has done is it's, it's made your, your pool of your, your echo chamber bigger and your repugnant cultural others bigger. And it just polarizes. It's a tribalism kind of thing. Yeah. It's a massive tribalism, which yeah. is a huge issue with the medium is that it, if you're not, if you're only following the echo chamber, you're going to think that there's no other conversations happening. Well, See, and the more that you you click on those tweets, the more they're going to appear up on your main feed. Yeah. Right. And so then you just get sucked into it more. When I was in the I was in the states just uh, a few weeks ago with some guys I grew up with in high school. I haven't seen them for a lot of years, but it was just interesting talking to them about the United States and the political culture there right now. Because living in Canada, you. Even even though I'm an American, I just don't connect with it that much. And I I asked them, is it as bad as it seems? Mm. <laughs> like, are people as angry? And they were like, Oh yeah, it's it's horrible. It's work. You can't you can't say anything. Don't don't mm. don't. We don't talk about politics. It's like a perpetual Thanksgiving dinner. Mm. Like, just don't bring it up. Um, so the places aside, where do you bring it up? And they say most people will just do it Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and not so much Instagram because it's just pictures. Do you know? Right. Uh, and that's kind of ruining the Instagram if you go in and make all your massive political announcements. Who wants that? You just want to see pictures. Mm. Um, but Facebook and Twitter are the places where you do that. And and I asked, do you think that the I asked the guys, do you think that the the proliferation of Twitter and and what you just described, Greg, this kind of tribalizing 
has caused it in a weird way the it's not the only thing that's caused it, but like, has it, has it caused in a weird way this kind of like polarized kind of in, in, in a way? So the, the only dialogue we're actually having is in this medium where everybody gets pushed to the margins and the loudest voices and the most zingy voices win. Yeah. Then it has it has it just like deteriorated the situation on the ground so that people who actually probably wouldn't be upset with each other if they were talking face to face because they would have to nuance their language and understand that what I'm saying, you know, if I have a certain perspective on on, on an issue, uh, I would, you know, I, I think about some of the stuff having to do with race relations in the U.S. If I'm sitting in front of a if I'm sitting in front of an Asian or a, an, an African-American person, I, I'm genuinely probably going to listen to them and their viewpoint and say, actually, you're you're situation growing up was hard and I want to recognize that and actually affirm it and say, yeah, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up with that situation large, probably because I'm white. And so we could talk about what white privilege is and all that kind of stuff. And they would be nuanced in their treatment of me. Well, it's not actually your fault and we don't hold you personally, you know, responsible. That's the kind of thing that mm -hmm. would probably lead to a lot more peace and mm -hmm. agreement even, mm -hmm. but you never hear it because we're not communicating face to face over those sorts of things. We're communicating through Twitter. Hmm. It's crazy. Well, and Daniel kind of piggybacking on what you said, it's not even that the conversation is only being had by people who have some information and knowledge in the areas. It's that everyone contributes to the conversation. It's a real populist model, right? Yeah. And so everyone feels, even though they don't have expertise in the issue, they feel passionately as though their opinions are as equally valid and containing right. of truths as, as the people who have spent an entire life dedicated to a particular field of thinking. Yeah. yeah. And that's another side of it because one side is a field of thinking. One side is a, a field of experience and that experience can be massive. Someone who, yeah, I, I lived through the Holocaust. Mm. Okay. Or someone who will say I'm a Jew. Mm. Like that could be, you know, you might be 15 years old and that doesn't necessarily like, People will say, um, I'll see you in discussing race relations, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a black person. And so therefore my voice has more validity than yours because I'm part of this tribe. Even if you haven't done the thinking for that, your, your voice is seen as being as more valuable than the other person who's done the thinking because, or as valuable because they yeah, are of that. And it's, it's kind of the experience yeah. side of thing. I just don't, that's kind of what bothers me. One of these days on our podcast, we can delve into the... The, the great joys of talking about intersectionality, which is a yeah, big, deal, big deal these days. And it, most people who are listening to us probably don't, uh, haven't engaged much with the idea of it. Well, not, no, they've engaged with the idea of intersectionality. They just don't know exactly what it means. If you go to a university these days, that's largely what you're taught in gender studies and things, is yeah. intersectionality. Anyway, this is getting deep into the weeds, back to the surface. Pull, Daniel, you have some out. stuff that we're supposed to talk about. <sighs> Gentlemen. Let's just take a little pause here, a little breath, because that was a. Uh, I'm sweating after that. First the Fortnite, now the uh, the Twitter thing. Okay, uh, Abraham, we're we're in it. We're doing Abraham. Well, we're Jeff, kind of we're kind of toward the Abraham. end of it. Well, yeah, we're kind of towards the end. Mm -hmm. Two you're more doing, weeks left. You're doing Abraham. I did Abraham this past week. Greg did Sodom and Gomorrah up in Tri City Church. Mm. Yeah. How are folks doing up True. in Tri City? They're great, man. Things are going really well up at Tri City. It's uh, if you live in the area or you have friends who live in the area, Port um, Coquitlam is where it is, Oco. just off of the Mary Hill Bypass. Yep, and uh, they're doing a big push for Easter services. So if you live in the area, um, they have some hand 
handouts that you can get from their office that you can give to your neighbors and stuff. They're Do you have a hard time with the word handout there? I didn't know the what to hand, call them. Greg the is working on becoming Tri-Cities the chief hand of out. Uh, right. marketing That's up right. at the Tri-City campus with Pastor Matt Glezos. Yeah, no, they're they're doing great work and they're, they're trying to um, get the people in the Tri-City area to know about where they are and what their Easter services are. So yeah, it's going well up there. Nice, yeah. And Pastor Matt friend of the show and uh, it'd be good to have him on here because I don't think he's been on here at all. No, he hasn't. Mm, okay. All. So what, what, Abraham, uh, you preached on ARM. Anything did. you didn't say that you wish you could have said in the limited time? Yeah, man, there's a lot in the passage that I talked about that I could have talked about. I actually found one of the more interesting things that I would, I actually included on some of the questions. I, I write a lot of the questions for the for the uh, community groups. And one of the ones that I asked that I did not touch on at all was, mm. what do you make of the idea that God kept Abimelech from sinning? Mm. Like, so here's an example in the Bible of God deliberately keeping this man from sinning against him with with Sarah and and scholars, I've made mention, scholars have tried to figure out, well, what, by what means did God do this? It's not totally clear, but by the end of the passage, you realize, oh, actually, Abimelech has this, he has a disability, apparently, in having children with his, with his, with his wives, hmm. and his wives have a disability. And so most scholars that I have read have concluded that this must have something to do with his sexual function. Hmm. There's something going on with him. And so several scholars are like, well, the most obvious answer to this is that he's got some form of sexually transmitted disease, some, some, something causing it so that he, he won't actually like that, that he can't actually have sex with them. Um, now that might be pushing it too far or whatever, but at the very, the specifics aren't that important. What's important though, is here's a case in the Bible where God keeps one guy from sinning against him, mm. which should raise all sorts of questions in our mind. Why didn't God do that in Adam and Eve's case? Mm. Uh, why wouldn't God do that in several cases? It like, and is this guy free then? Hmm. Because yes, I would. Yes, he is free, but he's not. He's not free to sin. So there's something that God has stopped him from doing, and presumably something in his body that has stopped him, some sickness or whatever. So he's not just. He's not physically capable mm-hmm. of doing it, or it's not a desire for him at the moment. And right? why would God help someone who? So, doesn't love him. So here's the here's the thing. I do, the question, the theological question that I I would love to ask in a in a room full of people as we if you could dialogue about it is uh, why does God stop this guy from sinning and he doesn't do it on other occasions, mm. right? And by what means does God stop people from sinning? Does he touch their will, right? Because there's a place I, I, there's a place actually where. Uh, I'm thinking about Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, who it says the Lord wouldn't permit them to repent. <laughs> so, okay, so you, there's the, goes the other way. So here's a guy who wants to repent and the Lord won't do it. So what what is that? And what do we do with that, Greg? Well, one of the things that I brought up in uh, my sermon this past weekend that uh, I talked about in the first service, but not the second one, uh, because it was too long the first service. Uh, at Tri-City. At Tri-City was this idea that um, that you were we, preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Genesis 19. Yeah. But I think it ties in. And if it doesn't, you can correct me and we can keep moving on. We often will, will function with this idea that ultimately God is love. 
and that that is who he is rather than what uh, theologians call uh, divine simplicity. The, the fact that God actually simply is and we know about who he is by how he acts and he acts loving. He also acts in other ways. And so the way I'm tying this into the conversation here is, is the idea that God, God can have more than one um, character trait or motivation in doing something. Yeah. Uh, at, at times he may act in order to demonstrate his mercy or his grace in other ways, he will act to demonstrate a different character trait like his justice or mm-hmm. something else. And so moving in our mindset from this idea that God is love and now every character trait needs to fit into that through that lens, moving away but from everything that towards God, God is. But everything God does is loving. Are you okay with that? Uh, everything God does is holy. Everything God does is righteous. Every, everything God does is loving. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I think it's everything he does is loving. I do too. But we might not think it's loving. I think that all of his character traits touch all his other character traits. Right. So God is never, never non-lovingly righteous. God is always lovingly righteous. God is always holy. Mm-hmm. Right? He, mm-hmm. he is always transcendently Yep. Imminent. Yep. Now, as weird as that might sound, I just used two words. He's transcendently yep. imminent. So the, his expression of one character trait does not preclude Indicate. yeah, yeah, the other one. It's th- this is where it's this is where it's difficult, right? But but as you said, that God it God acts uh, oftentimes for di- he had there are different reasons why he he does a particular thing right. in one case as opposed to another. Right. Um, I my point I think in it though, is it's a really interesting thing to think about as it pertains to the sovereignty of God, because you do have these examples in the Bible mm. where, where God chooses at points to stop somebody from sinning, or he chooses on some points to not allow out of his judgment, not let them turn around. I'm thinking about Pharaoh, mm. right? And he, and he strengthens the heart, no matter how you view that stuff, that subject, right? Whether you say, well, Pharaoh was the first one to say to God, I'm, I'm, I don't want to follow you. And God's just like letting him have what he wants. Or if God himself is the one who begins that, that's a big debate. But no matter what you do, what you do, you, you, no matter what you think about that, you know, the, who started it, you get in this, in these passages about God strengthening or hardening Pharaoh's heart, you get these, this idea that God is kind of, he's reaching in and giving this guy resolve to fight back against him Mm. when he kind of wants to give up. Mm. So I think this is, raises all sorts of questions about the sovereignty of God and the freedom of people. It raises all sorts of, and, and whatever you, whatever conclusions we come to on that, I hope that those conclusions are biblical, meaning that they that they in, embrace the whole picture of Scripture. And uh, that's part of the, one of the things that I was, you know, as a, somebody who's studied theology and had a background in it, I was when, when I was going through the passage, I had to sort of leave that to the side mm. and make just one comment about it, but just sort of keep keep going. And talk about because it, it didn't really cohere to the rest of the rest of the sermon. So that's one thing I wanted to talk about. And um, what's your name, Daniel? This has been the extra podcast. Thank you for what? We're done? No. Oh, I'm just a little offended that you didn't know my name, Jeff. <laughs> uh, we do this show, this Man. program, uh, quite often. We're coworkers in Christ, co-heirs with Christ. Um, <laughs> hey, we got a question that was sent in uh, from a friend of the show, and she's a faithful listener. Mm. And uh, often gives feedback. Thanks for listening. Faithful, oh, faithful listener. 
Oh, faithful friend of the show. We Okay, so here's a question. It's talking about God's disappointment within us because, uh, as we see in Abraham, he is consistently disappointing, right? You'd expect this from one of God's great... Let's, let's be clear about this. Uh, Abraham is disappointing. I was getting there. But I'm not sure I'd say God's disappointed. Ooh, okay. Expand on that. Why, why wouldn't God be disappointed? Is it because he knows what Abraham's going to do and he expects it? Um, see, I'm okay saying actually that God, I, I have no problem with actually using language of divine disappointment. I actually think that that's what's happening when you get to the story of Noah mm. and stuff. It sounds the word, the, the Hebrew word there that God changed his mind. It's, it, it's a, it's a changing of his mind because he's like, he, re, he regrets, right? God, God regrets what he's done. That doesn't mean that what he's done is wrong. It's just that he he's it's there's a sadness that's come on him to because he's like this is just I knew that you know this this is not this is not a good thing what's happening here. Anyway, there's a whole dis- di- debate about divine repentance and stuff which we could get into at some point which is good fun. But I think in the story of Abraham what you've got is a go- is is a remarkably disappointing man with a remarkably disappointing family doing disappointing things left and right. Yeah. And yet God continually blessing them. And this this is all pictured at the very beginning, or Genesis 15, when God puts this dude to sleep and, and he walks through the covenant ceremony on his own. And it's his, the point there is, Abraham, I'm not really expecting a lot from you here. <laughs> you know, hmm. uh, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to bless you. I've chosen to pin my heart to you as a child of the covenant. He didn't need, there's not, it's not like the Lord uh, needed to go to, to Abraham. And he was the only guy on the earth at the time who, you know, when God called him out of Ur, that was going to be a good, good deal. I, this, there are, there are Jewish scholars who in history have tried to figure out why is it that God called Abraham? They come up with all sorts of things God must've seen in him. But that's the point. He didn't see anything in him. God just chose this man. And he decided he was going to bless him. And as a result of that, that love, uh, he, he doesn't back out. He just keeps on coming, even to the point where Israel fails completely, ultimately. I mean, ultimately, just keep turning around. God takes the truest Israelite there is, J- Jesus, right? Son of David, son of Abraham. He takes this one, and he full, he's the one who actually embodies all the fullness of what Israel is supposed to be. This is why you have in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus goes, uh, what, he crosses the Jordan. He's baptized in the Jordan, and then he goes into the wilderness for how long? Four days. For 40 days. So he's kind of reconstituting. He's, he's like, no, no, I'm the real Israel. I'm the real Israelite. And so when he fulfills all the promises... He, ful- he fulfills the covenant. He lives up to God's standard. He then is the rightful recipient of all the things that Abraham gets. And said, so those who have faith in Jesus then are the ones who are the inheritors of the Abrahamic covenant. This is actually some foundational Christian theology. It'd be a good sermon series one day. Oh, it would be fantastic. But the, the, the point in the end is that it's not something you deserve. Abraham is not a guy who is deserving. I mean, look at his kids, too. When you get further down, we did a series on Jacob a few years ago. Like, Jacob's useless. He's horrible. He's a deceiving, just jerk. And yet he's the one who receives the, he receives the blessing. And so the point reiterated throughout the entire Old Testament over and over again is that this is all of God. God is the one who is doing his saving. God is the one who is doing the work. God, the, and you know what? We don't add a whole lot to this to this process. 
What we should add, as we'll see at these, as we finish these last couple weeks in, with Abraham, what we should add is in response to that grace, we should, we should have faith. We sh- we sh- and our faith should show up in even remarkable acts of worship when God, in the next story, will call Abraham to sacrifice the very son that they just received, <laughs> you know, as part of the promise, which can you imagine how difficult that would have been? But God, but Abraham is trusting that the Lord who provided the child was going to take care of the covenant and the promise. So you can go wherever it is that God calls you to go, do whatever it is that the Lord calls you to do and trust that the Lord is right. And you can, and you can do, that's what grace should do mm-hmm. in our lives. Right. And that's why Abraham comes, he becomes the example of faith in Romans four. Mm-hmm. One there. of the questions that was attached to this is something that I, you know, you hear thrown around a lot. The idea when, if you really want to get, you know, someone to feel bad about what they did, you say, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. That's right. You know, <laughs> I got this one growing up, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just very, very mm. disappointed. Mm. And uh, Jeff says that to me sometimes. Time to time, before yeah. the show, after the show, not I, live on the air. Actually, I think I usually say I am mad and I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm both. So, but both and. So, if God knows then that His people are going to be disappointing, He chooses to love them anyway. Mm-hmm. Does He get mad at them? To the praise of His glorious grace. You but wonder he, why would He do that? Mm. To the praise of His glorious grace. But He gets mad at them. Yes, He does. I think that's the only way you can. So I read Hosea 11 at the end of my sermon this last week. Hosea 11's fabulous passage because it shows this uh, shows God at his at at his emotional best, mm. where you have God talking lovingly about his child, you know, Israel that he's brought up I, out of Egypt. I called my son. I I, I brought you out, and I, I I led you by the hand and I taught you to walk and you're like all this image of like raising this child and yet the child turns away from you and runs away and and you know and hates you and acts like you're awful and treats you with disregard and stuff and then you get this path right in the middle of it this like oh I'm so mad I'm gonna judge you with the swords and the Assyrians are gonna come and get you and I'm never I'm not you call me most high God well you're never gonna rise to my level And then you have it switch back to this, like, oh, I can't do it. You know, how can I give up Ephraim? How can I judge you and your cities like I did Sodom and Gomorrah? Mm. Even though I should, I can't do it. I've got, I've got to my heart is, was my compassion is aroused mm. in me mm. and I will not treat you as you deserve. So I, this, my point is that you see the emotional parts of God there. And I think that those emotions are all actually real in God. And yet at the same time, he always does what's right. All of his emotions are righteous. All of them. Amen to that, Jeff. I think we nailed it. <laughs> I think we answered all of the biggest questions ever sent into the podcast. by our. And if you have questions, you can email them in to extranorth.org. We will try to get to answer them. Um, especially we look for questions that are uh, related to the sermon series because we want to be able to answer those. And so we'll try and get to those. Um, I think we've run out of time. Have we? We're doing a sermon series uh, after Easter, Greg, on what? Is it Jude? Jude. No? Is it Jude next? Hey, Jude. That's the name of the sermon series is Hey, Jude. So can I bring this up? We uh, Jude is about yes. what? Greg, the floor the, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Jude, it's going to actually engage a lot with false teaching, yeah. false teachers. So Jude, Jude starts by saying, I wanted to talk to you about this Calvation we, we share. But I can't. But I can't. Because of this. Yeah, because of these false teachers. So um, 
it's fun. Steve Weens came up to me and said, Hey, uh, Hey Greg, uh, why do you want to call Why are we calling this? Hey Jude, no one's going to know who sang that song. No. And I said, I think you're wrong. Yeah. And he said, no, it's dated. No one, no one's going to know mm. that the Beatles sang Hey Jude. So this is one of my, one of my few good moments on staff at North. He was walking with Steve Weens by good. I mean, like I was right. And, and I'm walking with Steve Weens through, through our children's ministry and our youth staff, which is mostly people under the age of 24. Yeah. And every one of them knew the Beatles. And he said, my son wouldn't know that. I'm like, well, that's your son's issue. Yeah. Don't, totally. don't blame the masses. Look at, look at Steve looking through the lens of his own, his own poor parenting. <laughs> Do you know? What mm. what parent lets their child grow up not knowing who the Beatles are? Not only that, but how do you not name a sermon series about Jude? Hey Jude, mm. like what else would you name it? It's a good point. Just Jude, Jude? Judy Bloom, Jude Law, Jude, oh. Jude. Yeah, it's a strong name. Jude. It's a very popular name these days, Jude. It's a big name to live up to. Yeah, yeah don't you think? He's a he's a Jude is a is a. He 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 throw, throws down. What are you guys calling hockey? I'm trying to get the, the words in my mind. What do you drop the gloves? Body checks. Ooh, drop the gloves. Was I right? Was that right? Yeah. Oh wow. Means Look fight. at me. Wow. See that contextualization that oh. I just did there. Haymakers. We'd never know you were American. Haymakers oh. are the punches. I watched. Can I recommend? Just as we go, I'm going to recommend something that was passed along to me by mm. Steve Weens the other day. Speaking of Steve, uh, oh. he it, Steve Weens, friend of the show. It friend is the, the 2018 uh, Hockey Hair Awards on YouTube. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I learned that uh, hockey hair is called salad, oh. and the flow. The flow. I didn't. I, know know, flow. I didn't know that before. The flow. That they call it. Yeah, that that's great salad, mm. which means apparently you've got some crazy hair. Isn't There's some pretty great? bad hair. Oh yeah. In hockey, and uh, I recommend. Besser, I re- I recommend the thing. Daniel Brock Besser can do nothing. Daniel, more. when are you going to cut your hair? Daniel's got hockey hair. When am I going to cut my hair? Real talk, real talk. Uh, probably when it's long enough to donate to someone who needs uh, it. Greg. Are you making so this a thing? So, do you feel terrible thing? about that now? Do you no. feel bad about what you just no, said? No, I'm. I'm committed do you, to do this. Do you feel viewpoint. bad or not? No, I don't actually even a little bit. Okay, you're doing. You're. You're. So you're going with the angle that this is for noble reasons. I arrived at that conclusion just, just now. Just recently? Not, no, not recently. <laughs> I, I thought. Well, most people, more and more people kept asking me because at least Steve Weens will ask me at least. Twice a week, yeah, for good reason, yeah. And uh, no, it's you know, honestly, it's growing on me. So, uh, thank you for listening to the good extra one. podcast. We will see you next week, where Jeff will uh, uh, review his performance on Fortnite and and how he did, and uh, we'll let you know how that went. Bye.